Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast. I'm Agent Scott and usually I'd be flanked by the dulcet tones of Cam the Provocateur, but he is off planning our secret volcano lair as we speak right now. So joining us and frankly classing up the joint, it is our co-host from our recent Skyfall review, the wonderful Miss Catherine Vinclair. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, and uh, I'm glad you've stepped up here. I think I needed some firepower for today's interview, and uh, you always bring that. So uh, thank you for coming aboard. But I think we'll introduce our guest that we're talking to this week, and it is Miss Bridget Miller. Now, she played the devious Dr. Vogel in Spectre and No Time to Die, one of the only people to get sort of a double go at the uh, Spectre role, which we will get into and more. So I think without further ado, let's roll that interview. And joining us now on the show, you may know her as the fiendish Spectre agent, Dr. Vogel. It is Miss Bridget Miller. Hello. How are you, Bridget? I'm very well, thank you. And yourself? Uh, wonderful. All the better speaking to you today. Got a lot to talk about, a lot of Bond films to jump into. Uh, but the first question I have for you, and it's a question I love asking people I have on the show, take it away from the Bond, take it away from like the films you've worked on. Your journey to becoming an actor, what was that like? varied and not um, the easiest of starts because I um, wanted to be an artist when I was 18. I wanted to study fine art and obviously my parents weren't very um, happy about that. So I studied languages in London and then decided to stay and um, had various different jobs as translator and fitness manager and fitness instructor and um, all that sort of thing. And eventually I was made redundant from my job and um, had a little bit of redundancy money. So my brother suggested I do something artistic, whatever that means. Mm. And um, I wanted to do a dance class and the dance class was full up. So my brother said, well, why don't you just try try the, the acting? Go to the acting class. I, was like, I don't want to do the acting. Who wants to be an actor? Not me. Went and did the acting class and the rest, as they say, is history. I, I did a little reading ahead of time. Apologies for n knowing some of the story, but I did remark when I was listening to a story earlier about your fitness instructor background, because uh, me and you had very similar experiences. I too worked for a major chain here in the UK, was a fitness instructor, then became a manager, and then was made redundant when they closed the gym down. So uh, hmm. I wonder if we went through the same experience. I think we probably did, yeah. yeah. Did, did it rhyme with Virgin Bactive by any chance? No. Mm, interesting. There's a few more out there, but uh, yeah. Yeah, wherever you like to go to the gym these days. But hey, it's uh, it's an interesting job to have, though, isn't it? Working in the fitness industry, though, it's it's a complex place. Yeah. You learn a lot, especially yeah, especially in the fitness industry. You come into contact with so many people from so many different backgrounds, nationalities. Um, it's 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 interesting to say the least. Yeah, it's challenging but interesting. I would say. I think it teaches you a lot about yourself as well and about how to deal with people. Because as you say, there's so many different people come to gyms and, and fitness and like places. You learn how to deal with different people. It's not just one type of person. You learn a lot about that sort of thing, which yeah. maybe in a way helped your sort of journey to becoming an actor and learning how to you know, code switch from one sort of character to another. Yeah. And I mean, sort of my first um, appearance on stage was teaching aerobics classes. <laughs> that, oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Was it, was it jazzercise? Was it Zumba? It was no plain old legs, thumbs, and bums, oh, and total yes. body conditioning. 
Do you remember the old classes? I'm, I, you know, uh, the yeah, one yeah. had the little hand wave. No, you probably wouldn't. There, you You'd know, be surprised. You do the grapevines and your side steps and your leg curls and your leg mm -hmm. lift and all that, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my rehab at the moment for my shoulder, funnily enough. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. And um, you mentioned like having sort of the inspiration for artistic things when you were younger and sort of putting it to one side, doing those other jobs, then coming back to it. What sort of actors and artists were you looking to as inspiration when you were sort of going through those formative years? Who were you sort of looking to emulate? I've always admired Meryl Streep because of her versatility with mm. all the different accents that she can do. And her, it's just like she's so malleable and she, she could do anything. But she isn't fluent in multiple languages like you. Isn't she? Oh, I believe so. But she does all these different accents. I don't know whether you know all the Sophie's Choice and all the, you know, all the different mm. accents um, that she does amazingly well, I must say. I mean, she's just, you know, she blows me away. And the actual, the accents themselves, accents and languages, I should say, is important because your character, Dr. Vogel, will get to is speaking in a language in German. So how many languages can you speak? Um, German, English. A little bit of I'm prof reasonably proficient in French, and it's and just an itsy bitsy, teensy weensy, it's a little bit of Russian. I I I'm not going to bring out my uh, GCSE in French here and try and make <laughs> a conversation. I haven't flexed that muscle in a long, long time. But let's saunter on over to the world of of 007. Uh, I want to go back and look at some of the work you did earlier on in your career, maybe afterwards. But let's talk about Bond itself. James Bond, spy films. I mean, were you aware of the Bond phenomena before you got involved with Spectre? I used to watch Bond as a little girl on the television. Oh. I, I was always fascinated by the whole Bond thing, by, by this man who could do all these amazing things and all these women that were sort of like falling over themselves just you know, to be with him and all that sort of thing. And I always found it really interesting and fa absolutely fascinating. So. That's wonderful. I mean, was there a favorite Bond that you had or a particular Bond film that you really remember from watching as a child? I think one of my first Bond movies was From Russia with Love. And I really enjoyed that because I really, really liked the whole sort of all the different continents and all the different countries that he goes to. And, and so, okay, so you obviously had this sort of connection to Bond then from Russia with Love, a bit of Sean Connery there, lovely, one of my favorite films. For you as an actor, you've been acting for a few years at this point. Spectre, how did how did you get involved with the project? How did that sort of appear to you? Well, my agent submitted me for the role. And mm -hmm. I think um, you had to be a fluent German speaker um, to be able to be submitted for the role, which I was. Uh, um, and so obviously they called me in and I auditioned for the role and um, thankfully, luckily booked it. When did you learn? that this was a Bond film because often it's kept very under wraps and there are code names and people don't know what they're mm. actually auditioning for. Um, they didn't actually give me the scene in the script for the audition, but my agent told me it's for a Bond movie. I knew, but, he, but it, I, di I didn't see this. They never send out scripts um, before they actually hire you. And then you obviously have to sign non-disclosure agreement. Um, and um, so they they had like a like something else in um, English, and I think I translated it into German or something like that. And then I put it in English and German, or you know, and they just wanted to see you know what you bring to the scene um, that they gave you. 
um, and just see how you come across on camera. Were you playing off of anyone in that sort of audition or was it just like the, the casting director and, and you sort of figuring it out? I was lucky to have a really good reader, um, mm. but it was mostly a little monologue because obviously Dr. Fogel has a monologue in sure. the scene. So they wanted to see how I get on with monologues. Okay. And speaking of Dr. Vogel as a character, and we'll get to sort of Spectre's evolution in a minute, but how was that character pitched to you? You obviously got the audition, you landed the roles, why we're here. But what was the character pitched to you and did that evolve at any point? Um, in the casting breakdown, it said um, sort of scientist, um, cold intellectual, um, powerful, and um so in my mind i sort of um i had sort of a few ideas about how i wanted to do it um but i didn't actually really get into it until i got on set and then it sort of all happened um it sort of all grew from from just from the from the monologue and it all developed from there um, the character really sort of came to me on set when I was working with the other actors. So you were feeding off of the energy on set, I suppose yeah. it would have been there. There's always an intensity there. Yeah. Was it, were, you, were you influenced at all by existing Bond villains? Was that ever in your mind? Yeah, absolutely. I like Rosa Klebb and Irma Bond. And obviously people say I'm the niece or the cousin or what, or granddaughter or whatever of um, Rosa Klebb and Irma Bund. They're sort of my aunties, so to speak, <laughs> something like that, <laughs> which is very flattering. I'm in good company, I think. Yeah. That's a wonderful evil lineage to have there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so much fun. And I mentioned sort of the Spectre evolutions because quite famously Spectre's script was leaked in the Sony hacks back when that happened. Oh, I didn't Did know you... about that. Tell me all about it. I didn't know. Well, well, well come I don't know. Anything about <laughs> oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Well, uh, Sony, uh, in, during pre-production, during production of the film, so when they were shooting it, um, the Sony itself got hacked. And a lot of emails and the script all got leaked. There was a lot of to and throwing and a lot of the script was changed, sort of very last minute with Sam. And I just wondered if, obviously this is news to you, so the question is probably a moot point, but I wondered if you'd sort of, if anything you've been shown had been changed by the time you got to shoot or did anything change from your perspective? No, because when I when I came on set for hair and um, makeup and wore just to, to you know try out different hairstyles and wardrobe and they were deciding what I was going to wear, um, I got my script when I, I got back to my trailer and I had a contract design that was about this thick and then yeah. obviously I I got the script as well, mm -hmm. and so I didn't see the script. Um, a long time before I came on set, I only got the script when I was actually on set. That's crazy as well, because it's a, as you say, it's a monologue. That's a lot to mm. sort of take in. Yeah, and I had, I had, I, I think I had twelve days to prepare from the from the time when I went in for hair and makeup and wardrobe, mm. and then it was twelve days for me to learn the lines before I actually started filming. I think that was a little bit of time, um, for me to prepare. So I think I've read in some of my research on you that you were asked to translate the script and yeah. you may have put a little bit of characterization into that translation. 
For, for, for those of us who don't understand perhaps how different languages can change characterization, how was that process for you? And, and what did you really bring to the, cam to the character through that translation? Well, they gave it to me in English. And I thought, if I was to translate that, they said, would you, would you want us to get a translator or do you want to translate it yourself? And of course, I wanted to translate it myself. Sure. And I thought they, were, had, they had very long sort of convoluted sentences. And I thought, first of all, it doesn't really make much sense. And secondly, the audience, by the time you get to the end of the sentence, the audience will have forgotten what you said at the beginning of the sentence because it just went on and on and on. And I thought, let me just chop them up a little bit. Let me just, just summarize them and get the gist of it and make it really punchy because she's this powerful woman. She doesn't beat around the bush. She says what she has to say and she does not tolerate any, any you know, <laughs> any any anybody to contradict her or anything she just dominates mm -hmm. the boardroom and I, I thought how can I do that with my language and with the words I use and with my and with the act with you know with the character that's fantastic so that was my reason for translating it myself and sort of having all saying the things I say in that monologue because I just wanted there were obviously a lot of extras on around the um, boardroom table and I mm -hmm. didn't want anybody to interrupt me or you know mess with me in any way shape or form so I thought I'm just going to dominate the whole thing I'm going to dominate the whole scene and how can I do that verbally linguistically and with my demeanor because you're really holding court in that scene until Blofeld turns up you, it's, it's almost like it's your meeting until he turns up and then you're like oh oh the boss is here now oh, yeah. watch out yeah you stiffen up you, you, yeah. you, you, you like literally your shoulders go back yeah yeah it's a lovely touch well you talk about a, a great question from Catherine there about the sort of translations is there anything you sort of injected into it that is maybe like a colloquialism that's a bit cheeky or something that perhaps it's not like formal German but it's like a, a slang term or something like that something that like Germans would go haha nice nice one there I like that um I actually I didn't I was resisting it because I thought she's a really she's a highly educated woman mm. and she's very serious and obviously she sees herself as Blofeld's right hand henchwoman so mm. she's not going to be messing about. She's not going to be ha-ha joking. She's just going to be like, you know, I want this. This is going to happen. And we're going to do this now. And, um, you know, everybody else just shut up and be quiet and do as you're told <laughs> um, type thing. Yeah. Well, well speaking of ha-ha uh, joking, you mentioned your uh, fellow Spectre agents around the table, sort of from people, you know, actually actors who are speaking parts. And then there's you know, a lot of extras in there as well. I imagine it's quite a lot of downtime shooting that sequence, probably a couple of weeks at least putting that all together. Did you form a bit of a bond to the group of you there? Any sort of stories from sort of shooting that sequence? Um, yeah, I think it was it was a really tense scene. First of all, the whole um, scene, the whole boardroom scene was broken up into five parts. You probably remember that was the Italian actor speaking. And mm -hmm. then there was Moro, I think his name is speaking and then myself and then later on the guy falls uh down onto the table that stunt when he cut when the stuntman when he falls down when, when bond throws him over the mm. railing and um so it was chopped up into five different parts so we had to film it in in, in different stages and that that um sounds much much easier than it actually is it's actually quite tricky to do that because you have because of continuity where you're sitting how you're sitting whether you're holding a pen or a piece of paper you have to have the continuity of all of that mm. um 
and that that was actually really interesting and um, we obviously had the dolly when um when we were filming and funnily enough when we um the the, the little wheels were squeaking so when i was doing my speech all of a sudden and everybody obviously was quiet it was except for me speaking all of a sudden we squeak 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 and the little wheels of the dolly were squeaking and Sam Mendes said he just interrupted me said come on guys and he was just like you know <laughs> and so obviously we had to stop right in the middle of my speech and um we had all the actors had to leave the set and they had to fix the dolly the little wheels they had to whatever they were doing put something under it or whatever they were doing I don't know so that it wasn't squeaking when I was doing my speech and um, it was it was funny because when it started all of us 100 I think there were about 175 people in, in that mm -hmm. scene sort of in, in in the in 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 the room and everybody sort of just turned and we all we all were sort of like oh my god and it must have looked really funny because all, all, all eyes on the dolly and it was just so funny. So did you always have an attentive audience of the other actors in that scene when you're delivering any of your monologue, including the parts where you've got you know closer shots that are just focusing on you and mid shots? Were they always there? Yeah, for the for the for the um, um, long shots and the mid shots, obviously they were there. But for the close ups, I just had someone sitting across the table, um, and uh, they because obviously the camera was on me, um, so that you didn't need all the other actors, so they could take a break. But not you. No, not me. No, no, no. Doctor, the doctor doesn't need a break. She's, she's focused. Exactly. Yeah. 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 She can take it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um. Well, speaking of Sam Mendes, glad you you brought him up. What was it like to work with Sam? I mean, I've had a couple of people be on the show who worked with Sam and had some notes on that. But what was your experience of Sam Mendes? I I think he's my favorite director. Actually, I really love the way he he said. Oh, um, he sort of just um said, well, um, there are two types of actors: the ones that need directions and the ones that don't need directions and i never got any any directions except for one which was um about a slight reaction um when blofeld comes in mm. and that was the only time that he came and gave me directions wow so if he's not giving the actors directions how is he conducting you know and orchestrating the evolution of the scene yeah, I know. I think he just trusts the actors. That's lovely. I think he just, yeah, I just think it's great. Yeah. And in terms of a, a sparring partner in the scene, uh, obviously you don't really go back and forth particularly, but Christoph Waltz, the wonderful Christoph Waltz is there in the scene with you. Did you get a chance to sort of share a cup of tea with him or chat to him at all about uh, how he was enjoying the Bond film playing Blofeld, of course? Um. No, I didn't. I mean, we had a brief. He came over and introduced himself, and he said, "Hi, my name is Christopher." And um, you know, I, you know, we were sort of briefly chatting. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm very focused when I'm working on set. I don't chit chat sure. because I think it dilutes everything. And I know, funny, some actors they can do that. One minute they're chit chatting or you know talking about EastEnders or that they had baked beans for breakfast, and then boom, they're back in the scene. Whereas I, I like to be in my little cocoon and be really quiet and just focus on the character and be the character all the way through until in the evening I wrap 
and I go home. Did that atmosphere of the extreme intensity of that scene where you monologue, did that stay in between takes, apart from, I suppose, moving the squeaky dolly and exiting <laughs> all of the actors? Um, no, everybody else was just chatting and I was just... I just went um, when I left the set. Uh, there were chairs outside and like bottles of water and like biscuits and fruit and all sorts. And I would just go and get myself a banana or a cup of tea or whatever it was, and just sit quietly in my little chair and just be just focused on my my internal life as the character. And the others, they were all like you know talk talk talk. Wah, 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 wah. And I just thought, okay, I'm just going to close my ears and just be in my little cocoon and be quiet. Well. Maybe jumping slightly over into your second Bond film, which I think is is it also a very interesting topic just to discuss the fact that you've come back for round two. Yeah. Which doesn't you mentioned like Rosa Kleb, Irma Bunt, both get one bat mm. at being in the Bond film. You get to come back for round two, which is wonderful. Maybe not the best end to your character. Um, but hey, you're 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 here. So how did that happen for you? How did No Time to Die sort of come onto your radar? Well, the casting director called or she emailed me and she said, if I'd like to come back and reprise my role. And I said, yes, of course I would. I would love to. Well, that's that's quite interesting, though, because, again, I, I, no time did I also evolved quite a lot from what was the original script to what it became. It changed directors, all sorts of things. For you were i mean what, what you filmed as opposed to what ended up on screen for no time to die is that two different things completely because i feel like the monologue you did for spectre was probably really that's a big load of words that's probably what you did for the shoot but was no time to die different or was that really the same it was very different i mean carrie fukunaga works completely differently he likes to improvise a lot sure and um so for example he would say bridget come over here and stand over there and then um when james um is level with you then you look in this direction and you do that and blah 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 and then obviously oh no that doesn't work let's try this and then we go over there and we do something else oh no that's not working oh let's go over here let's try this before mm -hmm. he then finds the thing that's actually working so he likes to improvise a lot and when sam was a bit more sort of focused and he knew what he wanted to date like when he got on set basically fascinating okay so was there much, I mean, was there anything sort of left on the cutting room floor for your No Time to Die experience compared to Spectre? I think there's a little bit that I would have loved to see in the movie, but it, it just didn't. So. Well, I mean, if you can share it with us, what, what, was, what was filmed? I think I had a little bit of a dialogue with my screen husband who was sitting on my left-hand side, and I'm not sure, I can't remember whether you can actually see him or not, but... Um, I was, I, I had someone, I had a young actor sit next to me and we were mm. both, he was also a Spectre agent and I, I think we were sort of talking or there was some interaction going on um, whilst I was delivering my lines. And um, that obviously got all got, that got cut. It, 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 I mean, that certainly happens with, with Bond films, alone major motion pictures. That's definitely the way things can go. But I, I'm interested in that sense. You're coming back to the character you probably had some ideas of what you wanted to do coming back to the character. Yeah. Is there anything you maybe proposed or wanted to see perhaps that you didn't get to see? I I wanted to propose lots of things, but there was just no, no time. Um, no time. <laughs> no time at all, because obviously it was towards the end of the, the, the shooting of the movie. So 
um, there was still so much that they needed to cover because, mm. because they wanted to tie up all those loose ends. So there wasn't really time for me to say, oh, Carrie, by the way, um, do you know what I think we should be doing? Um, there just was no time for that. I was, And we were imp- improvising quite a lot. Um, so I had to be really on my game and really be switched on. And Because I didn't have the lines until I came on set and he said, actually, Bridget, what I want you to say is blah, 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 blah. And then I have to say, you know, say whatever I was saying at the time. But I have even forgotten about it now. I think it's something to toast Blofeld or happy birthday, have a lovely time in prison or something like that. Yeah. Sure. I, that was like, the, you were all sort of celebrating, weren't you? That was, the, that was the gist of the party. Yeah. Yeah. Where would you have wanted to take the character had you been given any sort of more creative license over your improvisation? That's a really good question. I would have wanted to see my character and maybe a couple of other Spectre agents maybe planning to get Blofeld out of prison or plotting something and seeing Dr. Fugger come back in her capacity as the scientist and evil uh, rather than, you know, just being at this party that, you know, I would have wanted it to be a bit more or, you know, a bit more interesting in in the sense to make the character more powerful, more interesting, and um, more evil, obviously as well. So. I, I one thing I was I was going over the footage today, and I know a lot of the things, even the scene you mentioned that you shot didn't make the final cut. Is there? A, did you film any bits of your you sort of dying, sort of reacting to the the poison in the air? Is it was, was that shot as well? I don't know if I missed the shot at all, but did did you film for that? Yeah, we we filmed that, and um, because obviously we're all falling down um, mm. on the floor, and um, that was actually I was actually really scared because where we were filming was a big dance hall, and the floor is marble, sure. and it was in October. It was cold, and the floor was damp, and I was in high heels and an evening gown, and then they took us away and said, "Oh, we're going to teach you how to break fall." Now, I'm a former martial artist. I know how to roughly how to break fall. Obviously, I'm probably hmm. not very good at it anymore. But um, but how do you break fall in an evening gown and wearing high-heeled shoes, I ask you. Show me that, if you can, please. Um, I, would, I would really like to see that. Um, so I had, we all had stuntmen to help us with the break falling. Mm-hmm. And I had this great big burly stuntman who had lots of padding around him. And I just put my arms around him and he fell to the floor and took me with him. So I mm-hmm. fell on top of him several times. And um, it was really scary because at the last minute I had to take my hand out from under his back. Otherwise he would be slamming his whole, I mean, he probably was probably sort of 11 stone, something like that, and sure. falling into my arm. And obviously he could have broken my arm. Um, so that, that was quite um, tense and quite scary. But he did a brilliant job. He kept me safe all the time. Was it good to be able to add an element of physicality to Dr. Vogel? Because we know she's good with with her words. Yeah. Yeah, that was it was it was an it was an interesting scene where we're all falling down and sort of like and then obviously expiring. Um, And there was the gasping for air bit as well. And uh, so I'd never done a dying scene before. So Mm -hmm. Carrie came over and he said, he said, Bridget, have you ever done any fishing? I said, oh. I said, well, when a fish is on land, it does this. <gasps> That's what I want you to do. So 
with me never having fished before and not seen any dying fish. So that was an interesting, yeah, interesting lesson I learned. So that's what I did for the scene. And then obviously they show my spectre ring um, to show that I'm a spectre agent. How many, how many times did you all do the sort of big fall down? Do you know, I don't know, a dozen times, maybe more. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I can imagine that left a mark by the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, was it fun to sort of at least play your character out to the end? Because a lot of people don't get the opportunity to sort of do their own death in a, in a Bond film or a big franchise film. But, you know, how was that sort of get to at least close the character off? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's given me closure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Maybe not the way we would have uh, seen Dr. Vogelhoff, though. I, th I think she's, she's planning for something else. Yeah, because I would have liked the confrontation. Yeah, yeah, I, I would have liked the confrontation with um, James. You know, I would have liked to take him down for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of of James, I haven't mentioned Daniel at any point in this, and it's always fascinating speaking to people who have worked with Daniel Craig throughout his films. This is his fifth one, though, by this point, and also you worked with him on his fourth. How was he to work with? I think by that point he's definitely the sort of fully in the role as as number one on the call sheet but what was daniel like he's i think he's really nice he's very easy to work with he's very generous and very considerate and i really really enjoyed working with him he's one of the best experiences i've had um working with a-list actors is you know I've, I've had a very good experience with him i mean he inspector he actually came up to me and introduced himself to me mm. and um the wardrobe lady she was doing something to my blouse i was on on my way to set and he was coming off he was walking off set and um we met and um, he waited until she finished and then he came and introduced himself and said hi my name's daniel nice to meet you and i introduced myself to him and um yeah it was it was a really good experience um on no time to die he was already on set when i came on mm -hmm. set and um so i just waved and said hello but obviously he was already in character so you don't disturb actors when they're already working on set and are in character um that would be you know wouldn't be good i mean it's uh it's it's nice to see that he definitely grew into the role i mean what are your thoughts on on daniel craig's bond you obviously said you loved sean connery from russia with love this is the other end of the spectrum now really it's a different time of bond altogether what are your thoughts on on daniel craig's bond it was a necessary um, development, I would have thought. I don't think the franchise could have carried on the way it was. It needed to change because obviously as as society changes and we as human beings, we're, we're changing, um, social conditions, everything changes. Mm. Um, so does the Bond franchise have to change in order to adapt and move with the times, basically? Absolutely. And I think alongside this idea of the evolution of what bond is on screen in the modern world with daniel craig's era you've also got a really strong narrative that runs across multiple films in a way that we've never ever seen before what do you make of the extended universe of bond where we don't just have villains popping up for one single film yeah i think it's really good because it makes it more real mm and more believable although i know the um the older bond fans probably have an issue and not just probably i know they have an issue with that because they want for things to go back to the old the old bond 
the way things were in the 60s and 70s. And I don't think that's going to happen. So I, I think it has to develop. It has to move forward. It has to move with the time. I always find that, um, and I've seen that opinion. I totally, I mean, we talk about Bond films and spy films every week on the show. I've, I've seen that opinion many, many times. And I just I have to remind people that, hey, you've got 20 films before Daniel Craig. You can go back and you can watch that style of Bond. And they're all great in their own way. And they're all there. But let's try something else. Let's yeah. have a different Bond film. Why not? I'm all for it. And it's a reflection of the times we live in and it's a reflection of society and, you know, what is current. Absolutely. We, we, we've grown, I think, and also as sort of consumers of, of, of movies. I think we expect more from our characters. Yes. From And I think personally, I expect more, and I, I'm glad we get it now, from female characters. Yeah. And, you know, looking back, it's lovely to watch the Bond films from the 60s, but you look at what they I think you were probably given more in your monologue than Claudine Auger was given in as Domino and Thunderball. And she's, you know, in the, yeah, she's the secondary to Bond in that film. It's crazy. But looking at sort of the more the, holistically your experience of Bond overall, looking back on your experience on the two films, what was your favorite moment from the process? Um, I think in, I think it must be my scene inspector and the boardroom scene is my, is probably my favorite Bond scene. Mm. Um, because it's just such a unique setting um, in this huge hall and with the, with the marble table and the marble walls and the gold, um, you know, all the gold around it. And it, it's just such, a, it's such an iconic scene now. And with the um, um, guy falling down, falling onto the table right in front of our eyes. And um, then obviously Hinks coming in and uh, you know, doing the, the eyes um, with the nails, with the golden nails, and all. I just, I just love that scene. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And one question I, I quite like asking, especially actors. Actually, I think it's fascinating. Is there anything that? Uh, and I know I don't think Eon are listening, but they do have ears everywhere and, and eyes everywhere. But uh, did, do you happen to have a memento from your time on the film? I don't. I was wondering no. if you had a spectre ring. I was wondering if you. Oh kept no! Mine. There you are. On, you're on a list. Your name is on a list, and your ring is being collected afterwards. Bridget Millard, check such and such ring back. Check, and is you know everybody has to give it back. So unfortunately, no, I don't have. I'll change the question then. Is there something you wish you'd kept? Yeah, I wish I'd kept the ring. Yeah, I wish I would. I wish I I would have asked, or someone would have said, "Look, do you want the ring?" But obviously, they didn't. They should have um they should have like made some for the cast and just been here's your spectre ring with your name on the back or something like that. Yeah. That would have been a nice. Yeah, that would have been lovely, yeah. That would have been lovely. Yeah. Okay. Well the last question I've got one more question left on Bond, but Catherine, do you have anything? Yeah, I do actually. It's a little off script. I'm just really curious, Bridget, to get your thoughts on obviously we're going to have a new Bond and the the, the future of Bond as a franchise is a little uncertain we don't quite know what direction they're going to take it but james bond specifically aside what would you like to see from future villains yeah i think it's good to make them more complex and more like real people rather than sort of you know the sort of cardboard cutout type villains that we used to have a little bit in the past mm -hmm. um and i think um 
what's his name um spanish actor name javier bardem i think mm. he's really i really liked his villain because he's just so supple and he's emotionally and he's just so interesting such an interesting person um not just as a villain but as a person he's i find him really interesting um the way he played the character and gave the character all these different layers i thought that was fascinating to watch i can thoroughly agree he's one of my all-time favorite villains even outside of bond i think there's something so iconic about his performance because like you say it's really rooted in in reality in something very believable yeah, yeah. and i think part of it is because he shows his vulnerability that he's not this perfect um you know marvel villain that nothing can touch but he's a villain that has feelings and likes and dislikes and hopes and dreams and visions and disappointments and hurt and pain so that makes him really interesting and that makes me really like him what do you think was dr vogel's vulnerability oh i think her achilles heel would probably be her pride and um uh, yeah, her intellect and her pride, I think, probably. That's where she would have fallen down. Ego. Egomaniac. Which has that sort of classic Bond villain feel to it, where Bond has to sort of outwit them and then, like, you know, insult them in their ego, like Stromberg or stuff like that. Like, it's, yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Well, my last question, then, when it comes to Bond, for you, is are you surprised by the film's legacy and your legacy with the films? Because I imagine you get asked about this quite a lot. I do, actually, yeah. Yeah, obviously, it's an honour to be a part of um, the Bond franchise and having been a Bond villainess and being, you know, it's not something that, that you can replicate anytime soon. It's not something that you can easily copy because there's only one James Bond, there's one um, Dr. Fogel, there's one Hinks. So it's not that you can just, you know, um, copy that um obviously it's, it's it's a great honor and i'm 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 so chuffed to be a part of it obviously yeah we interrupt this program to bring you a special report attention spy hards die hards independent podcasting much like the spy game requires considerable resources whether it's research equipment hosting or of course constructing a hidden moon base we're putting out the call for your support that's right, the Spy Hearts Patreon is the home to our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors, and The Debrief, where we activate our billion-dollar brains and predict how the spy movie news of today will shape tomorrow. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? Zootalore! Inspector Clouseau is back because we are tackling the second Pink Panther comedy, 1964's a shot in the dark. Let's hit the nudist colony. So accept your mission and hop in the Hellmobile today at patreon.com slash spyhards. But before Spectre agents intercept this broadcast, let's get back to the spy jinx. I, I was looking for your filmography today and like films that I've seen of yours that you've been in. And uh, I mean, I, I was blown away by sort of looking into your story with Order of the Phoenix which is one of your earliest gigs, not your earliest, which is another one I want to get to. But I, you know, I was Harry Potter reader from the second they came out. I had like, I think I had a second edition of the first book. 
I was very much into my Harry Potter when I was when they were coming out. Love, love, love the films too. How was that for you? Because obviously we're talking about big franchises with Bond, but you started very early on with a massive franchise in Harry Potter. How was how did that experience come to you? And what was it like? Yeah, I mean that was my first role after drama, my first proper mm. paid role after drama college. And working on a big set was such a wonderful experience. And everybody, I mean, everybody on Harry Potter was really nice. There were no airs and graces, no, you know, everybody was just like themselves and, you know, just being even Daniel Radcliffe. And, you know, they were really nice and really friendly and chatty. And, um, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. I was I was looking at some of the behind the scenes stuff and I noted, and I went back and looked at the scene, that you get to do a little bit of broom riding, which I think yeah. is absolutely fabulous. That must have been quite an experience, literally coming out of college, learning acting and like, hey, here's a blue screen. Pretend to ride the yeah. broom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the green, it was green screen around and it was on a crane, mm. the um, broomstick. And um, underneath you had thick mats, like gym mats, the big, the big thick mats. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you got strapped into your seat. So you didn't fall off. And then you had to do all that thing like looking and there was a tennis ball that they were moving in front of my eyes and I had to look where the tennis ball was. Um, it was it was great. At first, it was quite daunting because it's quite high up. It's about six foot high. But then you get used to it, obviously. And yeah. And flying is, 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 is really interesting, even though you're not going anywhere because mm-hmm. you're stationary. But then they have this wind machine that blows your hair back, so it looks like you're flying, and that was fun as well. Yeah. And how was that? Just sort of as it was being your first job, was it quite daunting? Sort of walking onto that massive set that was like—is it fourth film by this point? Fifth film, one of the two. It's it, it's it's going by that point. They know yeah, what they're doing. It's the fifth one, isn't it? Order of yeah. the Phoenix is the fifth one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was daunting, but I had a very um. I had a very good relationship with my fellow actors and some of the older ones, they would just take me under the wing and, you know, and one of the things that I learned in Harry Potter is never look at the rushes as an actor. They offered, they said, do you want to come and have a look? And I didn't because um, the more experienced actors advised me against it. They said, if you're not, you know, you don't, don't do that because you're not going to like what you see. And if you criticize yourself, then it affects your performance later on. So I never look at the rushes. Ever. Not interested. It's interesting that they, they offered to show you. I, I always thought they would sort of keep that quite more with sort of the DP and the director and not mm. really extend it out to the actors. But it's, it's nice they offered. Yeah, I think there was one there was one evening where they said, Do you want to stay on and go over there and look at the rushes and or do you want to go home? And I thought, nah, I don't I'm not <laughs> I want a cup of tea. That's right, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Just and I think I think most actors was and even there's um, a video on YouTube with Michael Caine who teaches an acting class, mm. um, who advises not to look at the rushes and you know just leave it, just leave it. Understandable, and I suppose uh, just a question is a sort of compare and contrast because you are part of I mentioned two massive franchises, Bond and Harry Potter. Were the processes particularly different in putting together those two films, or did they feel quite the same? very different i think each movie is very very different it's a different atmosphere it's a different director it's a different set it's a different story so i think it's very different did did being on harry potter sort of teach you anything that you carried over to being on bond and being on those sort of big sets 
yeah, I think you learn a lot, um, you know, how to relax in front of the camera, for example, and um, also how to improvise when things don't go to plan. You know, you just learn that sort of thing. And also how to relate to other actors and be sensitive and to their processes and if they want to be left alone or if they want to talk or whatever you, you just you know you just learn to get a feel get a feel for how to maneuver yourself in 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 on big sets yeah, definitely yeah because in a sense i suppose that was like your playground it was like your first film as well you're learning your social cues like kids do in school as an actor you were learning those sort of social cues from harry potter absolutely yeah yeah Good, a good school to go to. Yeah, a very enjoyable, yeah. yeah. And the other question I had was, uh, the credit on your IMDb before that is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Tim Burton. Yeah. What was that like? Because that's a big name to be working for very early on as well. Uh, yeah. two, the two, two gigs to have out the gate is a very good, uh, very good start there. Yeah, it was amazing because it was in that little um, butcher's shop with all the meats and everything that that was really interesting it was so pretty and um with all the actors around and i think tim burton he walked across the set once very briefly and then uh, he disappeared and i think someone else directed that scene because i think he yeah they have a monitor at the back and can see what's going on so he didn't have to be on set directly he was probably somewhere in the background and was that shot while she was still in school like doing your study. That was still at drama college, yeah, yeah. I was sort of, I was sort of um, still, you know, toying with the idea of whether I should seriously pursue an acting career. But that scene actually did it for me. And I thought, wow. oh, my God, this is what I want to do, yeah. What was it about that sort of moment that, that solidified it for you? It's just the magic on set that, that, that can happen on set, that you create something out of that you out of nothing really you create all these stories and people and lives and worlds that i find so fascinating really i mean for those listening and not watching the video it was just fun watching you there just as i asked that question you just lit up bridget like you, a smile crept across your face the yeah. idea of creating something obviously yeah. stirs you yeah which goes all the way back to you wanted to be an artist as a very a very young girl so that that's symmetry there it adds up yeah. and i like that yeah. Well, I, I wanted to, to know, firstly, is there a, a film that we haven't, there's a lot of films you've worked on that we haven't mentioned, but is there one particular you'd like to shout out, Bridget, that you're really proud of that you worked on that maybe doesn't get the love it deserves, that should have more eyes on it? Because we'd like to spotlight that put, and you know, publicize that if we can. You know, it's, I, I'm so grateful that you're asking me that because I think The Quiet Hour really didn't get um the, it didn't they didn't have the money to market it in the way that i think it deserves to be marketed um so i think that that was a really really good movie that we shot in ireland in county tipperary in mm -hmm. templemore and it, it was so much fun i had so much fun with that character um that gang leader catherine and the backstory i gave her and all the rest of it the way the character unfolded for me um so I think it's a shame that that it just it just came out on on DVD or so, Blu-ray or something like that. So it, it never had a theatrical release, which I think it it, it would have nice. It'd be nice to have that. I was just looking it up now. So that's the quiet hour. Is it Stephanie Joland who 
a director mm. there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, female director, which I really enjoyed working with the female director. Yeah, it was lovely. Was that your first time with a female director? Yeah. Yeah. And how do you find that sort of process differs? Um, I, li- I like just exchanging ideas with her and bouncing ideas back and forth. That was really nice. I really enjoyed that. Is that something you found in doing sort of maybe sort of lower budget films compared to the higher budgets like the Bonds and the Harry Potters? There is a bit more collaborative effort. There is yeah. a little bit more of to and fro. Definitely, yeah, yeah. And do, do you prefer that method of working compared to sort of the bigger bombastic, if you will? Not necessarily prefer. You love both, but like, is there one you would reach for if you could? I think that is that that makes that makes it really um, that gives the actor. Um, the opportunity to bring in their own creative ideas in in a, in a really big way, if the mm-hmm. director is open to that. Sure. Well, I mean, I imagine you know a lot about Doctor Vogel before you said a word. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. In your head, like you knew. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of all the characters you've played from you know, Harry Potter, Bond, everything in between, what's what's your favourite character that you got to spend some time as? I think it must be Dr. Fogel. Yeah, I think mm. it was the most enjoyable character. It's, uh, I, well, you know, the thing, the thing with the Bond world is it's ever expansive. So if they ever want to do a story that happened in between and they want to do some, uh, get the voice cast in, they could do a voice story and you could do some audio work there and uh, fill in the chapters between Spectre and uh, No Time to Die. Or maybe you escaped. Maybe you're running Spectre now and you got away with it somehow. Some antidote at the very last second off screen. That would be, unless they cloned me, obviously. Um... Well. It's all to play for these days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I'm not sure where that, what direction they're going to take the new Bond movies in, because some people want to go back to the '60s and rewind and start again. Yeah, that's definitely. Let's just say we start with Bond being in his early twenties and going through the training, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then to where he is now. And other people just want to go forwards, want to move forwards. And I mean, you can see that very clearly also if you think um, Adele did a Bond song, mm-hmm. Billie Eilish did a Bond song. That, those are all Sam Smith. They're all cutting edge, very current cutting edge artists. So that tells you something as well. I think that's saying something about the Bond franchise and where it's going. Well, I I don't know if it was uh, Cubby Broccoli, Harry Saltzman, one of the two of them, but they were always of the opinion that Bond should be going forward. Yeah. Uh, you know, much like Gene Roddenberry for Star Trek, it was always about progression, not regression. And I think that's important. Much as it would be nice to go back to driving the DB5 around London town in the 60s and everyone's dressed to the the hilt and it looks nice. But I I don't know. I think there's something... There's, there's probably more richness to explore in the Bond character by putting him in today's age instead of just putting him in where it suits him more. But I'll, I'll throw the question to you because I think it's a, a good question to tackle. And out of the three of us in this conversation, only one of us has been in a Bond film. Two, in fact. Where do you think they should go now? I think they need to move forwards. If they want to, if they want to because, I mean, obviously, the older generation um, is the Bond fans past and we want that or they want the bond fans present and future they want to get the younger generation to come on board and i think they can only do that if they move forwards couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more with that it's uh, definitely where i'm coming from too nice to see you're on board with that bridget i want to know 
and you know we we're spies here we like to keep things secret so i understand if there's all secrets and hush hush and ndas <laughs> but is there anything you're working on currently you can share with us um actually i'm doing i can't talk about it but i'm doing um a voice um role for a video game computer game and video game but i can't talk about what it is so. well you're you're uh, you're in good company because uh catherine who you're sharing the podcast with is also a voice artist who's done many video games too so uh there you go it's nice that i'm 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 surrounded by talent and i have none fantastic that's amazing mm -hmm. no i'm excited to discover your voice in in some video game in the future i'm going to absolutely hunt it down and, and find whatever this production is that you're working on now yeah. really exciting I'm hoping that's going to be really interesting yeah. video game. So you've done that yourself? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah, several characters in various video games. And it's um, it's always a delight because I think there's a lot of character to be found in video game characters. They're really quite rich. Amazing. Yeah. Well, the uh, the last question, Bridget, and this is this is the hot seat question here. Okay. okay. Every person that's been on the show, from you know John Glenn, Mariam Darbo, Denise Richards, uh, Sebastian Foucan, everyone who's worked on a Bond film that we've ever spoken to has been asked this question. I've built it up enough now. The question to you, Bridget, is: What is your favourite spy movie of all time? Yeah, um, it isn't a Bond movie. That's um, fine by me. It's fine by <laughs> me. Um, I liked, do you remember a movie called La Femme Nikita? Mm-hmm. The Luc Besson film. Yeah. And I like, it's not strictly speaking, I'm not, it's a spy movie, it's sort of spy stroke assassin yeah. movie. But what I also liked was the spin-off, the TV series with Peter Wilson. Mm-hmm. Very good show. I saw that before the film. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was really great. Um, because obviously they go and infiltrate sort of organizations and insert themselves and then take people out. And I thought that was really a step up from the normal, quote unquote, normal spy movie. Did you ever see, and it's a wonderful choice, it's not a film we've covered yet on the show, but did you ever see the American remake of that, Point of No Return, with Bridget Fonda? I think I saw a trailer and I've seen bits and pieces of it. I haven't seen it in its entirety. It's it's nothing on the original though. I think that that film is a is a very interesting topic, and uh, it's a it's a it's quite a rich film. So it's a very good choice. I think that's our first time it's ever been mentioned as well. All right. Okay. There you go. Oh, so wonderful. I think, I think it's, it offers it offers another perspective to it, and also I think La Femme Nikita, especially the one with Peter Wilson, it sort of opens up um, an insight into all these sort of organization secret organizations and all these sort of you know terrorist organ what, what what they do how they take them out how they infiltrate and they how they get trained to be able to do that sort of thing how dangerous it can be mm. and um yeah that's i think it was that was really interesting well that's a, a wonderful choice i firstly just want to say thank you for taking the time to speak with us bridget it's been wonderful to pick apart dr vogel thank you so much for having me uh, it's an absolute pleasure. We've had uh, we've had our devious doctor now on the show. You are our fiendish spectre agent. So uh, oh, fantastic! I love it. Um, well, yeah, it's been a, an absolute pleasure. I look forward to seeing what the video game is about when the details are out. Um, if it comes out in the next few months, let us know, and cause oh, it's I will. and and we'll see if we can put something online about it. But uh, until then, Bridget, it's been absolutely wonderful speaking with you. No, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you both.
Yes, thank you, Bridget. I feel like I've learned so much more about Dr. Vogel from your perspective, and it's going to, it's going to enhance the viewing experience whenever I watch Spectre or Night, No Time to Die. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Well, there you go, folks. That was our chat with Ms. Bridget Miller. And I want to thank Bridget for taking the time to speak with us. And if you liked that interview, we've got plenty more in our back catalogue where that came from. The likes of Denise Richards, Sebastian Fucan, Mariam Darbo, John Glenn, Bruce Glover. The list goes on if it comes to Bond alumni. So make sure you hit subscribe and stick around for more. But the question goes to you, Catherine. What did you think? I really loved her perspective on Dr. Vogel. I think there's so much more that I can now appreciate about the character. And I wasn't it fantastic that she had such a vision for where she would take the character, were she given more of a creative license, and with villains in Bond in general. It was it was wonderful actually. I think it's quite refreshing. We've had quite a few people on the show now have been in Bond films. And definitely been a mixed bag of people who are like literally, and this is no fault, but just doing it as it's a job. Like, I'm not a big fan of Bond films. I'm just, I'm playing X character because I was hired to do so. And then I left, which is absolutely fine, perfectly fine. But there's a lot of people we've had in the show that are fully invested in the world of James Bond. Bridget was one of them. Big fan of From Russia With Love as a kid growing up. I love that film too. So we instantly clicked there. But it was nice to see sort of her passion for the Bond universe. I think it uh, shows in the work that she did do, and it's the fact that she stood out enough to be asked to come back for No Time to Die, I think. Absolutely, and her connection within her character to Irma Bunt and others. I love that she was excited about that lineage because I think mm -hmm. as a Bond fan, it's exciting for us, but for her to be aware of that within the canon of Bond films and to be just as excited, as a fan would be, I think there's something quite magical about that. I hadn't actually made that connective leap myself, but I am a world-renowned idiot, so this is absolutely on sort of on track for me. <laughs> but it, it, yeah, that that she was not actually connected, but more like apocryphal. Like it was just sort of, isn't it kind of nice if she was? But that is quite fun that there is sort of a, a concept of there being a spectre lineage, and if she's some sort of relative or descendant of Irma Bunt that uh, she's still out causing havoc 40 years later for James Bond. And just the idea that the offspring of a villain continue to be villainous is yeah. hilarious to me. They say kids don't want to be their parents, but this, uh, this family was very much not falling far from the apple tree, if you know what I mean. Exactly. Mm. I, um, I was actually quite interested to hear sort of the differences in style of directing, because there's not many people that get to sort of do that jump between directors, obviously. The, the leads like Daniel and you know, Judy Dench and that sort of stuff would see that transition. But going from Sam Mendes to Carrie Fukunaga, like I wondered if it would be different. And it turns out very different. Uh, hearing that Sam Mendes is methodical tracks completely with the interviews we've had about with, with people who've worked with him in the past, going all the way back to Ben Power, uh, who they did the Layman trilogy together, the award-winning stage play. And, he said like he was actually shooting Spectre at the time they were making that and said Sam was working night and day off of the shoot, like literally 24 hours a day, not sleeping to get pre-production ready for the film. He had laid everything out to, a, you know, he basically planned the entire film shot for shot, which is actually what Alfred Hitchcock used to do as well. Like it's yeah. that sort of 
Yeah, you know, you're an Alfred Hitchcock fan, you know. I'm a, I'm a film grad. <laughs> well, of course, yes. You actually have far more credentials than I do. I should, uh, I should really turn to you for these things. But um, yeah, it was. But then, like Carrie, is very much more just sort of turn up and and figure it out. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, Carrie's name since that film. Uh, not one to sort of celebrate particularly. He's, he's going through some issues. I'm not going to get involved in that. I don't know enough about it to have an opinion on it. But you know, he still made a film that we're all interested in talking about. And obviously, Bridget was very happy to work with him at that point in time and had a good time on the set. So I think that was. I think that showed through. Absolutely. I think she's a real testament to what the actor can bring to a role and the importance of an actor who is looking to bring depth to a villain, to a character that uh, has sometimes fallen into stereotype. We, we, we all love a good Bond villain stereotype. They're mm -hmm. iconic, but I really appreciated how much she enjoyed finding that depth and that nuance and celebrating that because we're going to we're going to ultimately get richer villains in terms of character creation moving forward and um, i'm really really pleased because i think what she's looking for from the future of villains in bond films is probably what we're going to get i think you're right Catherine. i think it is the the future of Bond villains and I also I didn't really get into this I probably should have got it into our chat with Bridget but I think we're long due a female villain and I don't say like as in person like like Dr. Vogel who plays an important part in that scene Inspector but it isn't it isn't Blofeld you know what I mean like it's or it's not uh, Hinks either it's not any of those and people will say like Irma Bunt was one or Rosa Klebb was one Rosa Klebb was working for someone Irma Bunt was working for someone I want yes. I want a Sophie Marceau level. Absolutely. And I'm really surprised that we didn't actually see that in any of Craig's films, especially. It's weird, isn't it? It's really strange because they ticked so many boxes mm. in terms of developing what the Bond universe can accommodate in mainstream characters in terms of diversity. And then they didn't bring a female villain in much. Here's to the future. Well, here is the I, I completely agree. And I have a theory, if we have a second to talk about it, I think it's to do with the getting the rights to Spectre. I think that completely blew up any plans they had. Because Quantum was dropped like a pile of hot poop. And so they never wanted to go back to that. They wanted to do with Spectre because they had the sort of ability to use it and blow fell. So of course they jumped on it because they wanted that sort of nostalgia kick. That being said, I think it's an absolute shame because... Can you imagine if, if Quantum turned out to be being ran by a, a woman? May have made the film a bit better. Well, I mean, yeah. My, my mileage of Spectre varies, but, like, it's... I just would have been more interested to see, like, there was no Blofeld. There, wasn't, there is a Blofeld-level person, and it's, a, it's, played, it's a woman. And I just think that would have been more interesting than just having... I love Christoph Waltz, but I just think it would have been more interesting to have something else. There's a lot to be said for the dynamic of Bond being presented with a female villain because he's so used to them just falling at his feet. And mm -hmm. it's quite exceptional to find a female Bond villain who's very aware of Bond and everything that he is as a sexual being. But, but, then, but then the desire of any female Bond villain would always be to usurp that and... Wouldn't that always be a delight to watch unfold? And something I wanted to touch on, just as I'm 
wrapping us up. I'm so glad that we have people working in a Bond film that care so much about the text. You know, it's, as you say, it could all just be day players who come and do the job and go home. But I think it's that extra mile that is the reason why Dr. Vogel was back in No Time to Die. Because a lot of that party scene was filled with random people. It wasn't like they got the whole cast and crew of the Spectre Hall scene to come back for that party. It was a lot of just random people and a few noticeable faces, a few memorable faces, I should say. I'm glad she came back. It is sad to hear that there was more film that we didn't get to see. Because that that sort of Cuba Hall set was wonderful. I would like to have seen more of that. All the stuff I know at the Armas as well, all very wonderful. But ultimately, I'm glad she got to have closure to her character and sort of see it out. It's a shame she had to do a pratfall 14 times onto a floor next to a stuntman. Uh, not the best way to go, but I guess a bit of fun. Yeah, I got the impression that she really enjoyed having that diversity of experience within the character. Yeah, she. I mean, she got to have she got to have sort of maybe not her own say on it and she had her own ideas of what she wanted from the character but there's not many people to get to do their intro and their outro in a Bond film no no she got to take it full circle uh, was there anything else you wanted to sort of touch on Catherine so I think I wanted to touch upon what she brought to the character through her translation because mm. that's rare that an actor yeah. would be given the opportunity to do that she is writing a Bond film. She is changing the grammatic structure of the original lines and she said that she did that to fit the character and I completely agree with her interpretation. It's actually, uh, and, and kudos to you for putting in the research and finding that information out and bringing it to the interview. That's, uh, that's why we bring you here. That's why you're here. Always you've prepared. Earned, you've earned your keep this week. Well done. Oh, cheers. And but it was and yeah, like to be given sort of the reins for that monologue. People are very precious. Screenwriters are definitely very precious about their words, and more so in a Bond film because that is like gospel. Hugely. But I'm really, really pleased they let her because she clearly knew the character inside and out, and had a depth to that character that potentially didn't exist before her interpretation came and enriched it. Absolutely. And uh, I think that sort of interpretation that she had and her insight added to that translation process. I wonder what German speakers got from that compared to us laymen. Oh, I wonder. Hmm. Let us know, German listeners. Was it, was it interesting to hear that sort of translation? And was there any sort of idioms in there, any sort of like slang or anything that made it through? Obviously, we heard Bridget say that it was all very formal. So, you know, she was a a woman knew what she wanted and she was taking command of that meeting, which I actually totally buy as well. I wanted to just sort of highlight a little bit of her work outside of Bond. I just think it's such a cool way to start your career, working with Tim Burton and then in a Harry Potter franchise. Like That is trial by fire by, to some, but also a very fascinating way of starting your film career. She seemed to really take it all in her stride. I got the impression that she always had a confidence about her own ability to just get the job done so that she wouldn't be phased by walking onto intimidating film sets with large names attached. No, I completely agree. And I was actually interested to hear your perspective because tracking back your career a little bit, obviously, you're a voice artist now and award-winning voice artist, I should say. But tracking back, you, you did some like camera work, you studied film, you did sort of work in the biz. 
Yes, so much of what she was saying about the intensity on set, about the etiquette of not disturbing actors when they're preparing, it really took me back to my camera operating days where I would spend most of my life on film sets. And there is an intensity, even if it's not an intense scene, there is still a certain level of hyper-focus that you find on sets. And it's unlike anything else. I was getting major flashbacks when she was describing her previous experiences of that. How do you, uh, from your perspective, how do you find, I mean, I don't, I don't know what your career was when it comes to working on sets. Did you start quite high up on sort of film sets as well? Or did you have the same experience no. or was it a different experience? No, not at all. I was at the bottom of the camera department as a camera trainee. And then when you work on smaller productions, you can work up to second assistant camera or or clapper or loader or anything along those lines. Um, but it's all about finding the cohesive workflow within whatever atmosphere is present on set on that day. And that can really fluctuate between productions. Absolutely. I could understand that completely. And, and different demands from what is required of you would, would have different levels of stress and things like that. I, I just think it was a very interesting way to learn your craft, especially as an actor, but also I think in any sort of position on a film set, it, just starting so high up. Well, I'm glad we have the opportunity to speak with Bridget. And I think before I let you go, Catherine, I want to thank you for taking the time to bring your expertise back onto the show uh, I've been trying to think of another way of having you back on. I'm I'm glad it happened so quickly after your wonderful appearance on Skyfall. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure. And it's lovely to have the opportunity to really dig down into a character like Dr. Vogel. And I just adored Bridget's answers. Absolutely. And I think before I let you go, I want to hear a little bit more from you. Now, we mentioned this on the Skyfall interview, but you're also working on a documentary, aside from your award-winning work with voiceovers. Could you tell us a little bit more about it? Yes, my production company, Flight Path Productions, we are halfway through our first feature documentary looking at women in aviation all around the world. I've spent the last couple of years talking to literally hundreds. It must be well over 500 pilots that I've now had conversations with researching their motivations to go into this industry, their highs, their lows, and what it's like to be a woman in various countries around the world, how that changes based on where you are geographically, culturally, politically, um, and how they take their passion for aviation and inject it into hugely diverse and successful careers. So I'm working through... Um, pre-production for that at the moment wonderful wonderful stuff where can people find more about that online if you head to flightpathproductions.com you can find out everything you need to know also just follow me online because i post about it all the time well i was just about to throw to that so a lovely bit of connective tissue there where can people find you online um i think the best place would be instagram come say hi at Catherine Vinclair, or Pop over to my website, which is voiceovervinclair.com. V-O-V, I like it. Indeed. Mm. Wonderful stuff. There'll be links in the show notes below, folks. If you don't remember that and you want to just click a link and get there a little bit easier, you'll find 
Catherine online. I'm sure we'll be tagging her in the post for this week's episode as well. But yeah, thank you again, Catherine. Thank you, Scott. It's always a pleasure. Well, there you go, folks. That was our chat with Miss Bridget Miller, Dr. Vogel herself. And that about wraps us up for No Time to Die and for a little while wraps us up for all things James Bond. But don't worry, this isn't the last we've ever seen of 007 when it comes to Spy Hards. But coming up next week on the show, as promised in the previous episode, we are talking about 1973's Bruce Lee film Enter the Dragon. We are going Kung Fu and we have a very special guest on the show to talk to us all about Kung Fu movies and much more. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to check out Enter the Dragon and join us next week. If you like what you heard on this interview, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you're listening. And do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. But until next time, listeners, you'll find me in Dr. Vogel's jazzercise class.